0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. I like the energy. That's good. I needed some energy this morning, so I'm loving this. A lot of laughing, a lot of talking, a lot of COVID friendly. Greetings. I love it. Uh, Guys, I'm going to just jump right into prayer and then, uh, yeah, we're going to be in 1 Peter. Y'all want to get a head start. God, thank you for the rain. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're meeting us right now. And that as we surrender all things to you, you're safe, God. Us surrendering and giving all of ourselves to you it is very safe to do that. So I pray right now that you would do work within us, that you would teach us, that we would put down any expectations and things that we think we need today and that you would come and do as you please. So we let go of self and we fall under your authority and your will and your ways. And we ask you to do a great work. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us in your word and and teaching us from your word. Thank you that you will speak through your word this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of of this ministry, part of doing your work in a world that needs you. Thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us, but always walking with us. God, there are some here that needs a word. They need need to hear from you this morning. I need to hear from you this morning. And I pray that you would do just that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 21 years ago, um, in Dallas, Texas... I was at a little small church in Oak Cliff and um, first time ever like leading a ministry and I started to lead the youth ministry or the youth through the book of first Peter that was 21 years ago that's crazy I became a Christian three years earlier in in high school and now I'm leading youth uh, through God's word and I can remember that I stuck with it. I preached, or sorry, I taught every verse. Every verse, that was my first book I've ever taught through. And now, 21 years later, I'm a pastor here in East Fort Worth, and I get to begin the journey through 1 Peter. And so I'm excited to do that. I'm thankful for the elders allowing me to do that, and so 1 Peter will be broken up um, through a couple weeks. I actually get a a few weeks here, um, I think in a month or two, so I'll be able to get through a lot of it then, but today's going to be somewhat of an introduction, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to, but like I said, today's just going to be more of a Hey, what is First Peter? Where are we going? Who is this guy who wrote it? What's the situation? And so, um, I can remember, I'm sorry, I didn't remember. I actually asked my wife, I said, hey, I had some notes, some of, of 21 years ago of, of just all the letters. I really did. And, and, I, and my wife, she, she kept them in a package and she put them somewhere. And I asked her, I said, hey, where are those? And I I skimmed through them and I found uh, a few of the the, the lessons. And um, back then, for some reason, I guess it was just me out of high school, every lesson I taught, I put the month, date, and year at the top right. And it's just so funny. And I don't know if y'all ever look at y'all old notes or journals and y'all say, man, I used to write like that? Why did I do that? But, uh, but yeah, I saw 2000 and 1 Peter 1, and I can rem- rem- when I was reading it, when I was skimming through, I saw the focus at that time for me, for those youth, was where was their hope? Because Peter is like a, a book about suffering and, 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 and living in obedience in the midst of suffering. And I don't know why I thought this was okay to be teaching youth, but but I, I, I talked about it in the sense of where was their hope? Where's their hope in things that, in the midst of suffering, will not fulfill, will not satisfy? Or it was just simple. Or, or is there hope in a living hope? And we see that in First Peter three and four. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So I did 12 weeks of, of, of showing them the difference between a, a, a hope that is fleeting and, and, and not, just will not hold up under the most difficult times in their life. And, and that's been a, a, a theme for me, I think, as I've been watching high school students at Grace Prep, where, where I coach baseball, I've been watching them launch into college, and I've been thinking to myself, what are they going to need more than anything? They're going to need hope when their parents aren't around and nobody's there to, to hold them up, and they're, 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 they're in college, and, and just nobody's there, and I'm like, they need a hope. A living hope. Um, I really like to slow things down for, for myself. Um, and so some of my teaching may be, you know, I, I may go really basic, but I, I really feel like it's a lot of it's for myself. It's not just, it's not just to slow it down so much for you. But, but first of all, Peter, you know, is self-titled. Uh, Peter is the author of this book. Uh, Peter is the same guy who was a fisherman. If you read the, um, the accounts in the, in the Gospels, you find out he's a uh, fisherman. Um, you find out that his, his original name, before Jesus changed it, was named Simon. Uh, and, it, and, and the books usually still use the word Simon Peter. But Simon, the, the, the name Simon means read. Um some type, of, I looked it up on Google, it was some type of, like, grass. And it, it just, you know, it, it's funny to me because Jesus went from reed to rock. And I, I just thought that was so interesting. We, we got this man that, I mean, more about him. He, he's the same guy who was walking on water and then slowly began to sink because he, he started to, take his eyes off for Jesus. Um, th- this is the, he was one of the inner circle of the 12 apostles. Um, so he, he got to go up to the mountain of transfiguration and see and be, um, be close to God and, and to hear from God and see that the Jesus change in that instance and hear to, to obey my son. So, so Peter was the, the same guy in, at that transfiguration that, I don't know if y'all read this before, that, that little story where he was like, hey, I think it's good for us to be here. We should, we should, we should build some shelter here and just stay here. Um, I have my thoughts about that because of uh, uh, something that happened to me recently, but I think it'll come up a- as we go along. But Peter's the same guy who... When Jesus was about to be arrested, he's the guy who took the sword out and cut the guy's ear off. I mean, anybody remember that story? And I, you ever think, like, was he just going for the ear? Was he that good of a swordsman that he only wanted to hit the ear? Or was that like, oops, you know, I was really going for everything? Anyway, so I, I think about that every time I read that. Um, he's the same guy. Um, he's the same guy that several times Jesus. Um, well, let me go to this one first. Peter is the guy who told Jesus, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then Jesus, and then Peter changed. He said, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not only my feet, but my hands. In my head as well, he didn't want to he wanted to obey Jesus there so uh, Peter is the one um, One moment said to Jesus. I will never forsake you and this is what Peter is known for sadly But within minutes he denied Jesus three times three times and then when he, I love, I love this incident in um, one of the Gospels. When, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, again Jesus said. you know that I love you. As I think this is a way for Jesus to restore Peter, to let him know that what I want from you is your love. I want you to know that you are restored by your love for me. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, the word says, and Peter is restored and he becomes, the, what, the first pastor of the church. We see that in Acts. And I believe all of this is shaping him to write First Peter. Jesus clearly identifies him as one of the leaders after Jesus' resurrection. He watches the ascension, Peter does, and he obeys Jesus and returns to Jerusalem and waits for the promised Holy Spirit. And he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he preaches what pastors would would call the first spirit-filled sermon. Full of the Holy Spirit. And he watches a hundred people get saved and then a thousand and then thousands of people are saved under his ministry. And then we see in Acts how how he's shaped by, by early persecution in the church. Peter was a part of that persecution. Peter was the one who went to the temple and he healed the man and when we went to the temple the, the, the religious leaders were really upset with him for healing somebody, for making somebody whole. The religious leaders were upset and they arrested him. So he was a part of this, and they, he told Peter, uh, the religious leaders told Peter and John, they said, stop speaking about Jesus. Stop speaking about Jesus, and he comes out of prison, they release him, they let him go, and what do they find him doing? Speaking about Jesus in the streets, and not wanting to get in trouble themselves because the people were listening and learning, Not and they said, didn't we strictly tell you to stop speaking about Jesus? And he says to them, is it right for us to listen to man or to obey God? These things shaped him as he is is about to write this letter to a people who are suffering they're suffering. These are new believers. These are new believers in Jerusalem. And, and they are what, in 1 Peter, in, in, in verse 1, it says they were scattered. They were everywhere. Do something for me. Turn to Acts 1. Turn to Acts 1, and we'll see when they were scattered. So as you are turning there, let me tell you, in chapter 7, we see Stephen, which was the first martyr, meaning the first person who died for what he believed in Jesus in, in, in chapter 7. We, 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 we see Stephen telling the, the, the religious leaders and all who are listening what the Old Testament meant and, and what was the purpose of Jesus coming and, and what was the purpose of allowing them to kill Jesus, they didn't, like. they didn't like what Stephen had to say. So they picked up stones and they killed him. And then we see in Acts 8, verse one, we see it says, Saul agreed with putting him to death, Stephen. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And so now we go over to First Peter, we see what he means by when he says, you go back to First Peter, uh, verse one, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad. Your translations may be said says scattered. But these people he's writing to are scattered because of persecution. And this is a, a normal thing in Christian history is when persecution happens, usually it spreads. The gospel begins to spread quickly because of persecution. And so that's why this, this whole series, I'm not sure if the bulletin says it, but it shows living as exiles. These people Are not from there they've been scattered everywhere and they're living as exiles now as foreigners as temporary residents and there's like a common theme or a thread in all of this we see exile we see we see Israel being exiled to Babylon and so there is a connection here when Peter calls them exiles there's a connection I'm a Gentile, you're calling me an exile. You're calling me a child of God. So these Jews and Gentiles are all being called exiles and so Peter is connecting those dots. And he's saying that you are exiles in Babylon, but Rome, they're in Rome. And he's asking them to live as obedient children. After Stephen was killed, the church was scattered. It is true that Nero, the the person over Rome at this time, he he was persecuting Christians. And and you probably, if you've been around church long enough, you've heard about him killing Christians in the arena and making a mockery of him and, and blaming the Christians on an incident that happened. These things were happening, but this is not the main persecution that Peter is concerned about. He's actually more concerned about the persecution that you and I face every day as a believer, if we are proclaiming Christ. He's talking about the persecution that the Jews and Gentiles are feeling after becoming a Christian and leaving what they feel is the Jewish religion. Or the Gentile who's leaving the pagan gods and not worshiping the pagan gods. What is the patriarch doing? If he's not a Christian in in that household and, and, and a son or a daughter or somebody becomes a Christian, by law, they're allowed to excommunicate from them. They're allowed to let them go. So this is a persecution they are feeling within their own own household, their own community. They're abandoned. They 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 don't have jobs. They don't need food. They need a place to stay. And they're being scattered. They they are being scattered because they have nowhere. It's not their home. It's not their home. So, actually, this makes this way more relate uh, relatable. For us today, Peter wrote this letter to encourage believers in the midst of suffering, in calling them to obedience and a life making Jesus known wherever they reside. Exiles, exiles, foreigners, sojourners, aliens, strangers, temporary residents, they said, Yes to obedience to Jesus, no matter the consequences. If you're a Christian, if you are a person that has confessed that Jesus is Lord, and you say that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, this letter is written to encourage you to persevere in the midst of suffering. It is written to remind you of why you came to him in the first place. To remind you of Jesus' death on the cross for you, and to remind you that he rose from the dead and was taken up into heaven, where you one day will be, it is written to encourage you to walk in obedience to God, loving all, even those who persecute you. Even those who have badmouthed you, been spoken against you, and have planned evil against you. He Peter is encouraging you to be obedient. He's encouraging you to set your hope on a living hope. Peter doesn't tell them how to get rid of the suffering. He simply explains how to endure. He simply explains how to endure it and how to act in the midst of it. Hmm. You ever buy something because you saw it on, it advertised on TV and it showed it, they made it look so easy, right? I just bought something recently. I feel like an idiot. <laughs> it was just bike rack. I thought it was just gonna be, simple. it's like a piece of junk. Anyway, and, but they make it look so easy, right? Y'all done it. Y'all bought some knives or something, right? <laughs> bought some stuff on the, Guys, Christianity is as advertised. Christianity is as advertised. What we see in Acts is no soft way of communicating to show, hey, come be a Christian, to live a life of ease and and comfort and prosperity. It gives you the real. I know the Christian movies kinda always plays it out at the end and we always, it always turns out right. Now, and I've, I've literally thought of this several times, like I wonder what it would look like for them to make one of these Christian movies on the first eight chapters of Acts. What would that look like? We would come out the movie theater confused. When do, when do we, when do we win? We would say, John 15, 19, 19 through 21 says, if you are of the world, it would love you as its own. Instead, the world hates you because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you Out of the world (laughs) remember the word that I spoke to you no servant is greater than his master if they persecuted me they will persecute you as well if they kept my word they will keep yours as well but they will treat you like this because of my name since they do not know the one who sent me as advertised as advertised as I read and study 1 Peter, I began to see how I miss it in so, so, so many ways. How I, I don't embrace his calling on my life. I don't embrace the fact that I am a Christ follower. Man, if we miss that, if we don't remind ourselves, if we don't like continue to recall the gospel to ourselves, we miss it even as Christians, even as people who are born again, who are going to heaven when we die. We miss it if we don't recall what we've been called to. We miss it. I don't embrace the fact that I am a Christ follower. I'm an exile, I'm a stranger, I'm a temporary resident on this earth. I miss it, and we miss it when we begin to make it only our goal in life not to face hard stuff. That can't be our goal. For one thing, it can't be our goal because it's, it's, too, it's too much hard stuff on this earth for, it even to, for us to even live a fulfilled life. There's too much stuff that happens to us that we don't want it to happen that if we only waited for the good stuff to happen, God, that'd be half of our life we miss in our Christianity and God's love for us. What if God was saying, I am with you through the hard, The. the easy, the boring, when God just said, I'm with you always. So, so many times I have missed it. I've missed the purpose of my Christianity the 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 covenant that I made with him. Yeah, we we start to ignore our Christianity When someone stops liking us, right, then we say, man, I can't be a Christian right now. This is not the time to be a Christian. And God says, no, 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 this is it. Peter is telling them, no, 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 this is the time that I want you to be a Christian. Someone hurting our feelings. Nah, that's not a good time to be a Christian because we got to let them know how we feel and how they hurt us. And he says, bless those who curse you. If we think until things are fair, I won't be happy, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. We fight for justice, but justice is not our God. We don't wait for justice to find fulfillment in God. We miss it. We miss it if we think there needs to be an outcome that I like for me to enjoy my Christianity, or until vengeance is taken, justice is served, I won't be happy. I know many of the Christian movies tell us that it'll all work out in the end. I love those Christian movies, by the way. I'm not down in them. I love them. I watch them. (laughs) But Christianity is as advertised. So what's the appeal to Christianity? I've I've said a little bit, but Christianity, God offers us salvation, and not not salvation, not just the living hope for after we die, but salvation from an empty way of life. First Peter 1.18 says, but you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. As an unbeliever, you may be not a Christian in here. As an unbeliever, you you can have your best life now. You really can. You can focus on not being hurt by anyone. You can make sure that your words appease everybody so that you can stay in good relationship. by finding a way to vindicate yourself, if you're a a non-Christian or even a a Christian, you can, even as a Christian, you can have your best life now, I guess. You can pursue vengeance and, and getting it by gaining all the happiness this world has to offer. And guess what? This world has so much junk and so much stuff, you can stay occupied until you die. So many apps, so many golf courses, so many bars and dance hall, whatever it may be, there's so much stuff, so much sports. I'm, I'm trying to think of my stuff now. So much YouTube I can watch. I can stay distracted and I can have my best life now on this earth. I could do it. The problem, if you're an unbeliever, is, with that, is that it ends, and the next life in eternity is miserable. You can, you can enjoy everything here, but the Bible says the next life is miserable. And God offers you eternal life, hope, a living hope that every treasure that your hearts desire that the world leaves empty, I have it. Like Derek says, is in him. I have it. Everything that you are missing after you play those those 18 holes of golf and you thought you would be fulfilled, everything that you're missing in that moment that thought you thought would fulfill you, I have it. Not only do I have it now here on earth for you because I'm present with you, but I am guarding it in heaven for you. I have it. As in this study of 1 Peter, I want to remind you through this study that you are a Christian. And your hope should be in Jesus. Your hope should be in how he fulfills your heart. No matter your suffering, you're having a good day or a bad day, he is the one. We're going to look at two verses in 1 Peter, just two verses, We're going to the first two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bethnia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient, and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. We already saw how, why he says that they were dispersed or scattered. It was because of persecution, they were scattered. But he calls them chosen. He calls them chosen. And later on he says, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So this is an intimate choosing. I know we wanna, and and I did this a lot in my Christianity early on. I I wanted to like, really philosophize that foreknowledge and and say he knew it and, and, and really get down into what that meant. But he chose me. There's an intimacy there that I missed in just researching the word so much. There's an intimacy there that he purposely, intentionally chose me. So when I'm reading the Bible, guys, there there are times that I may think about you, but the Lord is my shepherd. He chose me. Guys, I can do nothing for you if I'm not there first. If I don't live there, this, this is, I can't do this. If you don't live there first, in your quiet place at home, if you don't sit there as a chosen child of God, live there, your ministry to me will be, will be from your flesh. I want you to minister to me out of your alone time with God knowing that he chose you. And you do here at Pillar, and I love it. I love how you minister to me. I love to see on our prayer calls on Wednesday how I'm so-called leading it but there's people ministering to each other across the screen. And they're ministering to them out of their calling, out of how God has chosen them. What a beautiful thing. In verse two, it says, um, let me go here. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And this is the part, y'all just listen to this and and we're gonna kind of find an Old Testament connection here. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And let's just stop there. And let's go to Exodus 24. Exodus 24. I'll just start reading it. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything that the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars presenting the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Verse 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls. And the other half he splashed against the altar. Verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. As when we became believers, we made a covenant. You've heard the turn. I've made him Lord and savior. I've made him Lord. He's in charge. He's God. I'm the servant. Here in Exodus, we see Moses making a covenant with God and the people, sprinkled with what? Blood. We see that in 1 Peter. It says, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's blood is the covenant that we've made. He metaphorically sprinkled blood on us, representing the covenant, what, of obedience to him. The covenant of obedience, it says. Sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. What does this look like? The last part of that verse, it says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In that covenant, in that covenant of obedience, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I like what the message said. He says, may everything good from God be yours. <laughs> everything, just everything from, that is good from God is yours. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in this amazing covenant. For God calls us his own, and we call him Lord, and we've made a covenant to be obedient to our Lord. And what will be? May grace and peace be multiplied. Listen. When we said that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we are saying that he is the one that is in charge, and we look to obey his rules and laws. It is his commands that we are waiting for, and is. And in this grace and peace, we will multiply to to us. Grace, the word grace, favor from God, the spirit that comforts us, hope in eternity, strength to overcome sin, that we would know him. That's grace. How about peace? A sense of well-being and fulfillment that comes from God and and depends on his presence. Why can Stephen, in the midst of being stoned, say, forgive them? How? How can he do this? Grace and peace be multiplied to him. He has a peace that overshadowed the suffering that he was facing, stoning him. He did nothing wrong. He only loved. He only told the truth, but he was being stoned. And in the midst of being stoned, he said, forgive them, Lord. They, they do not know what they're doing. He loved them. That is grace and peace multiplied in the midst of your sufferings. The peace is about his presence and knowing that you are in his will. Don't miss this. Guys, you know what it feels not to be obeying his laws, right? You know that feeling. Do you know that feeling when you know that you are in his, in his will? You are obeying him? You know that feeling also. Grace and peace be multiplied in those times. No matter, no matter if it's a a good situation or a bad situation, there's a peace When you know the presence of God in that moment. Peter goes on to say, don't don't suffer for doing wrong. Don't suffer for stealing. Don't suffer for for killing or doing things against the law. Christians, don't ever suffer for that. There's enough suffering going to come because of your obedience to me. I think, I think sometimes we as Christians, we, 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 we chase after suffering. We're annoying sometimes, basically what I'm saying. We're, we're annoying. We make unbelievers hate us and we like it. What is wrong with us? Guys, in love, in speaking the truth, they're gonna hate us already. That's not persecution when we're annoying. That's not persecution. Grace and peace be multiplied to you as you obey his laws, his rules, his ways. How can he do this? How can Stephen do that? It is peace. It is peace that Jesus had when Peter denied him. It was peace Jesus had when all his disciples abandoned him because he knew he was walking in obedience to the Father. And it is peace that he will multiply to you and grace he will multiply to you in the midst of your suffering. See, grace and peace are multiplied multiply, supersedes the suffering we face in obedience. Because God's presence and promise of eternal life is better. The reason Peter doesn't tell them how to escape suffering is because he wants them to gain everything God has for them. Don't miss it in the midst of your suffering. Don't miss God because that is part of what he has for you to show you everything he has for you. So he says, grace and peace be multiplied. First Peter 2, 23 and 24 says, when he he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. That was Jesus being obedient, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, <laughs> he endured the cross. In Philippians 2:8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. This is our covenant. Our covenant sprinkled with blood, Jesus' blood on us. We are saying, when we came to Christ, we're going to be obedient to you. We're going to be obedient to you no matter what. And he says, grace and peace will be multiplied to us in the midst of it. Well, I don't know. In, 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 when I if I suffer, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to hold on. Grace and peace in that moment will be multiplied to you. The Bible says, don't worry about in that moment. Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about in that moment what you will say in response to those who persecute you. Your, the Holy Spirit will give you. In my flesh, yes, I will deny him every time. But I am holding on to a, a living hope that grace and peace will be multiplied to me in the moment of my suffering. As I, as I seek to be obedient to him, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even Death on the cross. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you, you promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. In our most difficult times in life that I may be, there may be some who are listening online or are here this morning who are facing, maybe not persecution, but just a trial. Whether it's connected to their their Christianity or not, it doesn't matter. You say you're with us. You say you love us and you welcome us. You say ask, seek, knock, (laughs) ask, It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. God, I pray that we would do that now in our suffering. Not only in our suffering, but in our persecution. That we would call upon you. And that we would would remind ourselves and remind our souls that your Lord. You're the boss, we're, we're, we're the slaves, we're the one, we're the servants, we, we follow your commands. So no matter injustice that comes our way, God, we want to be obedient to you. Help us to sit in that living hope that grace and peace will be multiplied to us as we obey you, as we surrender to what we said we surrendered to, when we made you our Lord and Savior. God, for those right now who are questioning their faith and not sure where they are, where, where they stand with you, I pray right now for them that they would make you Lord and Savior knowing that only you can fulfill that emptiness in their soul. Jesus, would you meet them right now in their seat, in that home right now? Would you meet them right now and you would revive their spirits and you would show them your love for them in Jesus Christ, God? Make it plain to them. Make it plain to them, God. Speak, God. Thank you, God.